a few. Jesus is after the heart. And so when I say Jesus is after the heart, what I mean is that um, the gospel, the good news that we know is that the gospel is Jesus coming to earth to rescue our hearts, right? So God sends Jesus down to earth on a rescue mission, and Jesus comes down and pays for our sins, takes the wrath of God, and now we all have been purchased, redeemed, made new hearts. He took that old heart of stone and gave us a new heart that's flesh. And so that's, that's gospel. That's what I'm talking about when I'm going to say this idea of gospel centeredness is that Jesus is after the heart. And so the gospel is about our hearts being redeemed so that we have pure desires to love, glorify, and be satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. That's the gospel. And so, um, therefore, we want to be um, gospel-centered people. All right? So that, that's, that's our aim. We want to be gospel-centered people. And I don't mean evangelism. Right? Sometimes we think that we think, oh, the gospel, you're talking about evangelism. No, we're not talking about evangelism here. And I don't think that's even what the Bible talks about or Jesus talks about all the time. Um, and so I'm talking about in our individual lives being gospel centered. So um, the idea of this is, is what is the motive behind you going to church on Sunday morning? What's the motive of you being here right now? What's the motive behind you going to Bible study on Wednesday nights? What's the motive of you helping out at Awana? Is it that you want to feel good about yourself? Or is it that, man, Jesus has done so much for me. Jesus has laid out his life for me. And so now, man, he's changed me. This transformation here. And that's what I mean by gospel-centered. So in our hospitality, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our ministries, in the church, are we looking to be gospel-centered in all of these things? Jesus is after the heart. And so our, in our lives, is that what we're targeting? Are we looking to target the heart in the way that we forgive someone? In the way that we treat others more significant than ourselves? It's targeting the heart. And so what this looks like is that if someone were to ask you, hey man, why, why, do, you, why do you forgive that dude if they wronged you? Why would you forgive them? And the answer, the reason, gospel-centered reason is, how can I not? Like, like, there was a day when I deserved hell. And Jesus stepped in and forgave me. I mean, how do you, why do you, why do you always do this? Why do you treat people more significant than yourselves? Why do you treat people as better than yourselves? Well, because, because Christ treated me more significant than anyone. And he went to the cross. Man, why are you so giving? Why do you just keep giving of yourself and your time and your money? Well, because for God so loved the world that He gave. You see that gospel-centeredness? It's the motive. It's the drive. Why do we do what we do? And so that's what I'm talking about with gospel-centeredness. And then, even to think like the church, right? So again, we're not talking about evangelism, and we're not talking about um, outreach focus when I say gospel-centeredness. But in our uh, in our Bible studies, in our VBS, in our Awana, in our uh, 
preaching of the pulpit even up here, the idea is not that we just do it to do it to try and be better people, but because the grace and mercy of Jesus has transformed us, so now our motives behind doing it is out of a pure, loving heart for Him. And if the Gospel was to passionately and aggressively, this is Jesus, passionately and aggressively chasing and pursuing hearts, then how can that not be our focus in the church today? Correct? All of these ministries, all of these things that we do need to be driven in a way that is our motives are for Christ and because what He's done for us and we target now the heart in everything we do. Nothing else but the heart. Why? Because that's what Jesus is after. So, um, and here's the other idea too, is that it's not that it's not that all things are the gospel, right? It's not just outreach or evangelism. It's not that all things are the gospel, but all things lead to the gospel. All right, not all things are the gospel, but all things are grounded on the gospel, and they're the motives for why we do what we do. So whether it be reading our Bibles or leading Bible study, whether it be parenting our children or preaching from this pulpit, whether it be loving our spouses or the motives behind living for Jesus, in all these things, we want to be gospel-centered people. And what that means is that Jesus is after the heart. And so therefore, we are after the heart. In our own lives and in our church gathering. So, um, one more term too, yeah, that's gospel center, but one more term is uh, the heart, right? So what do I mean by Jesus after the heart? Um, uh, this goes back to, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, you all know the Shema, which is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. So in the Old Testament, uh, they didn't actually have the word, the Hebrew word for the word for your mind, for your brain. So uh, everything that has to do with your brain, your intellect, your reasoning, your knowledge uh, is, is in the heart. So when we, you see the word heart in the Old Testament, it's, it could be talking about your reason. It could be talking about your intellect. It could be talking about your knowledge. So, um, so, that's why, so the heart really has to do uh, with everything um, that encapsulates all, all pertaining to one's life. So all, everything about you, is that, that's what the heart is getting at. You're, you're being as a person. Um, so... Uh, I'll read this quote by uh, Tim Mackey. He's a founder of the Bible Project, and he describes it like this. He says, All of the human's intellectual activity happened in the heart. You can know with your heart, understand. Wisdom dwells in the heart. And it is how you discern truth and error. It is where you think. And it also deals with the emotions like fear or depression or joy. And the heart is where you make choices. It is where your will is and where the affections are centered. And so every day with the Shema, right, God's people were called to devote to Him their whole body, mind, their feelings, their desires, their failures, and their futures. This is what it means to love God with all of your heart. So um, that's what we're getting here. Jesus is after the heart. And it's what God was after in the Old Testament. I mean, you know the whole story of David, how he even picked him, right? No, no, not this guy. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I want David. And um, so in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, just you read the Gospels. You, 
This is Christ constantly pursuing people's hearts and wicked people's hearts like us. Um, and so, Old Testament, and even now today, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still, and through his word, is still pursuing people's hearts. So, uh, let's get to the text. I know that's a lot of groundwork, but um, it needs to be done. So, let's read Matthew chapter 15. says uh, in verse 1, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God? And honor your father goes into the mouth, passes into the And this bear your own son for our sake. How will you not also freely give us all things this morning, even in this text in our Bible reading? So God, we trust that you will show us what is good and perfect and acceptable to you. Give us hearts to live and love you. And so we ask these things right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So back to verse 1 and 2, what's happening here is we see, it says, uh, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So, what's he talking about here? What, he's, what the Bible is talking about here, what the Pharisees are doing is that these guys, right, every time, uh, Old Testament, the priests would come in before they had to do their ritual duties and they'd wash their hands, right? Like those surgeons all the way up to the arm, get everything nice and clean, can't have any uncleanness, going into the temple, perform our duties, make sure you wash. That was commandment of God. Now, these guys, these Pharisees, liked it so much that they're like, you know what? Let's do this all the time. Like every time we eat, every time we need to be, let's do this all the time. This is our thing now. This is our tradition. We're going to make this a thing. And all, all Israelites have to do this now. And so that's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're making uh, a new tradition out of an old commandment. And so they're pretty upset when Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he eats. Sounds kind of silly, right? He's, he's, they're pretty upset when the disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And so Jesus' response here is he, basically it's this idea of, are you kidding me? Verses 3 through 6. There's this idea of where um, th- this, this tradition they made was that you wash your hands. That's not a commandment of God. But Jesus is saying now, so you're going you're gonna to make me do traditions, not commandments, traditions that you made up, but yet you're going to forsake the commandments of God for your traditions. See, in the Jewish culture, what would happen here is where he says... Um, you say, God says, honor your father and mother, but you say, if anyone tells his father and mother uh, what you would have gained for me is given to God, he need not honor his father and his mother for this sake, is that when parents were aging, they didn't have nursing homes. And so you couldn't just send them off in that way to be taken care of. You had to, you had to pay. You had to take the time. You had to take care of them. And so these Jews made some vow, some weird religious tradition now to say, you know what? No, 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 no. We, don't, we don't want to do that. Let's, okay, here's what you got to do. If you vow this vow, now you no longer have to take care of them. You could just nah, let them die. You see, you see this wickedness? And they're making this new tradition to, 
take over for God's word. God says, honor your father and mother. They say, no, 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 you know, we don't really want to spend our money. We don't want to spend our time. We don't want to have to deal with this. Let's just live our lives the way we want to. Eh, yeah, parents, sorry. Just go die the way you are. And so Jesus is saying, you're, you're making your new tradition and you're giving it higher value than the word of God. Honor your father and mother. And so that's what Jesus is targeting here. He's, he's getting right at them and saying, are you kidding me? And that's why in verse 7 too, right? He doesn't beat around the bush in any way at all. Hypocrites. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah speak of you when he said, these people come near to me and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And so you can see even, I believe, the tension of Jesus arise with uh, some of these men. But it's his hatred for this self-righteousness. He hates it. And so, the Pharisees... Even just with the whole hand-washing thing. you got to wash your hands. <laughs> They're so concerned with their rituals and vows above the Word of God. They're so concerned with what they looked like and how they acted and what they did. Did you see me do this? Did you see me wash my hands? Hey, Jesus, you can wash your hands. And not only that, this was constantly, this came up, oh, you're working on the Sabbath? What are you doing picking grain on the Sabbath? Oh, you're doing this on this day? You can't do that? Jesus, you're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? You're not spiritual. Those are wicked people. You don't dress the right way. You don't sit in the right seats. And there's this whole mindset behind these guys of you have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. And this hand-washing ritual is just some over-spiritual tradition to make them feel good about themselves. Yeah, look at us. We wash our hands every time we eat. Right? It's like, you can almost hear, like, it's this idea of, like, of, of like a wealthy mom, right? And her husband makes a lot of money, and she's, she's down at the, the, the boat club, and she's bragging to other moms, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, um, we bought one of those Tesla cars. They're so good. Yeah, they're only $250,000. Everyone should have them. They're great on the environment and everything. Oh, you don't have one? Oh, you're not that wealthy? Mm. Right? It's just, and that's what we see with the Pharisees too here. It's like this idea of, oh yeah, everyone washes their hands. Oh, you don't wash your hands? Oh, you're not that spiritual. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're just not that spiritual. You don't do the traditions like we do? No. Nope. You're nobody. And so, that's just... Uh, this is mentality that these guys have. This, look at us. We're so good. You, you're nobody. That snobbish, I'm better than you. You're not that spiritual. Look how great we are. That's the mentality these guys have. And they were, that's the idea, they were more concerned with how people acted and what they did than they were what was going in, on inside each other's hearts. They ignored the heart. And today, um, we call this, we could call this, label it, uh, moralistic deism. Moralistic deism, or uh, this idea of behavior modification. Modify your behaviors so that you act, think, talk, look a certain way. Don't worry about the heart. Just modify your behavior to act more like, some, more like you should be acting. And so, that's what we even see today. And so, what this looks like in us today... <laughs> Is, is these thoughts, and a lot of us, I don't think, say this, but we think it is, man, I need to be a better Christian. 
I need to look more spiritual. Then I should, I should go to Bible study because I've got to feel better about myself. And if I don't go, people might look down on me. I need to be at church every single Sunday. Because if I don't go to church, then, oh no, people might think this about me. Or I won't feel that spiritual about myself. And on and on the list goes. I better read my Bible because people will make me, people make me feel stupid if I don't read. Listen, that's enslaving. That does nothing but enslave you to the law. I, me, I better do this. I need to do this. I better work for this. And to become this. Don't do this. Don't do that. Go there. Don't go there. Drink this. Don't drink that. Act like this. Wear this. You see that? That's behavior modification. That's making you become something on your own strength. It's a you-centered theology. And it does nothing but creating us a self-righteousness that we begin to place on other people. Like once you start thinking like that yourself, then you become this self-righteous person who then tries to lay it on to other people, make them feel the weight of your enslavement. This is what the Pharisees did. And now, even too, as believers, right, we wouldn't say that we need to work for our salvation. Like We know the, the right answers. We wouldn't say we need to work in any way for our salvation. But, I still think there are many of us, including myself, who have this tendency to feel the need to gain God's acceptance or to earn God's favor. I go to Bible study, therefore God loves me. I read my Bible every single day at 6 a.m., therefore, God accepts me. Listen, this, this can't be the way we think. Like we, If we try to just be better Christians and do good and become something that we're not, like we're gonna, it's, it's going to end so badly for us. So badly if there's this continual earn God's favor in our lives. Why? Because if your whole mindset is do good, be better, become this, the Bible says you stink at being good. You're awful at it. We're terrible. And even, even if we're good at being self-righteous, all we become is this annoying, self-righteous, worthless piece of carbon. Like, you understand how annoying and ridiculous self-righteous people are? Ah, oh, you, you can't stand that garbage. It's nonsense. And here's the thing, in this text too, because we read texts like this, and we don't want to make ourselves the Pharisees because, oh, no, I'm not like that, am I? And we, there's this wrestle back and forth. But, I mean, I'm not, calling, I'm not calling me or us the Pharisees in any way. That's not the point of this morning. It's not to say, see, where are the Pharisees. Our heart is so far from us, and you, you just honor God with your lips, and your worship is in vain. I'm not saying that in any way. What I am saying is that you and I, naturally, because of our wicked hearts, have tendencies to slide into these things. Like, I'm saying this because I'm dealing with it in my own heart. Like, I naturally think, oh, shoot, my wife's coming in. I better get on my knees and pray and act like I'm a good Christian, right? There's these thoughts, and it even sounds stupid when you say it, but, like, we think like that sometimes. We do. And that's the Pharisee in my heart. And we can easily just slouch into this posture of pharisaical modification behavior. 
It's garbage. It's nonsense. And it's still, even in, in, in the pride of our evil hearts, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years after we're saved, we still slouch and fight this tendency to be like the Pharisees. And, and for, we, would, we would even, this is how, this is how I think, we would rather, I would rather, I'd rather err on the side of self-righteousness than I would in immorality. Like, that's how I think. I, we would rather err on the side of looking right, playing the part, doing all the right things, acting like this, behaving like this, instead of licentiousness, because if I, if I err on the side of self-righteousness, no one's really going to notice it. It actually looks spiritual, and it's really hard to discern, and no one can pick it out. But if I start committing adultery, if I start murdering or hating people, like people see that. And I'm now, I'm now a bad Christian. And so that's what we would rather err on this side. Why? Because we have Pharisee-like tendencies. Like no one taught you how to be a Pharisee. No one taught you legalism. It's stored up in your heart. It's that nature that we fight. We think somehow self-righteousness is less of a sin than immorality. But that's exactly what it is. Self-righteousness is sin. Enticing, enslaving, death-defying sin. Sin does nothing but want to kill you in any form it takes on. Self-righteousness or immorality does not matter. It's, it's sin. And so, this is... I, I can't say this enough. I really don't want to point any fingers. This is the problem in my heart. Like, really. I have to fight this every single day. Every day. You preach the Word of God at Brantford Bible Chapel? You're not that spiritual. Oh, I, I better be more spiritual. I better, start, I better start looking like... I better start praying every day. I better start doing this. I better start becoming this. I better start behaving like this. I fight that. I hate that part of my heart. It's wicked. And I hate confessing it even right now. So disgusting. Why? Jesus hates it. He hates it. In fact, it's the reason He came and died. Right? These desires, these hypoc- this, hip- this hypocritical desire in my heart to look spiritual, that's a desire that Jesus came and died for. That's a good thing. He came to kill it. Therefore, I need to kill it daily. And so, let's, let's get to some of the good stuff now. Um, Jesus is not after this type of moralistic behavior. I'll say it like this. He's not after you being a good Christian. Right? He's not after you being a good Christian. He's after your heart. Look at verses 8 and 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so, Here's the problem with the Pharisees, right? Here's what we see in this text is the, the, the problem. 
It's not, right? It's not, in this text, it's not that they thought that the traditions of man were better than the Word of God. That's a problem, correct? We can't make our rituals higher, of higher value than the commandments of God. Absolutely, we know that. But that's not the main problem in this text. The main problem for them doing that is that their hearts are wicked. Their hearts are far from Him. And so that's what we see in this text. Even look at verses 17 and 19 to prove the point. Or uh, we'll look at verse 18. He says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. From out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone. It's the heart. It's not that they thought that the Word of God was better than traditions. That's a problem, but that's not the main problem here. The focus is that they had wicked hearts, and they were far from God. That's why they honored Him with their lips. That's why they taught the doctrines as the commandments of men. Their doctrines as commandments of men. And so... um, Their hearts were wicked. And here's the thing, too, is that there was nothing good in their hearts that could cure them. That's what we're getting at here, is that there was nothing good in and of themselves that could cure their wicked hearts. So I think of it like this. Um, The body, right? The human body is amazing. It's incredible. Like, your body, you break a bone, it just naturally heals it. It might, might not set it right and all that stuff. That's why you've got to go to the doctor to reset it. But it naturally heals and restores broken bones. It's crazy. Like, you get a cut, you, a cut on your elbow, you gash it up, it'll scab up, and what it does? It heals itself. That's crazy. Like, what are the, where else in the world do we see stuff like that? Just natural regeneration. Oh, you get a cut, oh, just, it'll heal itself, just keep it covered, get the dirt out, be fine. That, that's crazy. Like, your body, it fights diseases. It cures, not all diseases, but it cures diseases. Like, you get a cold. Your immune system fights that thing off. Gone. Had a cold three weeks ago. Just drank some water. Gone. Why? Because your body does that. You know what the body doesn't do? The body doesn't do this. There's one part in the body, well, there might be more, but there's one part in the body specifically that I'm thinking of that doesn't do that. You know what it is? This is weird. Your teeth. Okay? Your teeth. Like, I've, and I'm saying this because I've been spending way too much money at the dentist lately. <laughs> My wife knows that. So, the, your teeth. Like, you get, you get a cavity in your tooth. That, that cavity, that bacteria that gets stored in your tooth begins to rot and eat and take away. And your tooth becomes decayed. Like, part of your tooth is just gone. And, and the tooth doesn't restore itself. I'm like, what the heck? I've got to spend all this money to get fake teeth now. Like it, because my body, every part, every part of my body restores itself, but my teeth don't. And so there's, if bacteria gets in there and becomes to um, eat away, you lose your teeth. And so you need a dentist to numb you up, drill your tooth out, get that bacteria out, clean it nice, fill a substance into your tooth that works as a tooth, and then you're good to go. Feel a little numb for a few hours after, but you're good to go, right? But there's nothing inside of it that can restore it. And so that's the same thing with our hearts. Our hearts have nothing in them that can naturally restore them. There's nothing good in you that can make you become a Christian, that can get you saved, that can earn you salvation. 
Nothing. Once sin, it's like bacteria. It creeps in. It's just decay. Natural decay. So the only cure is the cross. Jesus pain to restore and redeem our hearts. And, and so here's the thing, right? Like, like Jesus, <laughs> Jesus doesn't care if you've been going to church for 20 plus years. He doesn't care if you help out at VBS. He doesn't care if you preach behind this pulpit. If your heart is far from Him, He doesn't give a rip about any of those things. He just doesn't. He wants your heart. Not your actions. Not your behaviors. And so, I've got to ask you, like, do you have affections for Jesus? Like, do you love Him? Is that, is that what's in your heart? Or is it just this wickedness? Or has Jesus cleaned it and restored it and made it new. He's given you he's taken the heart of stone. He's given you a new heart of flesh. Is that you? Or are we simply looking to become better Christians who feel more spiritual by going to church every Sunday? If that's you, stay home. I know that sounds weird at church. Stay home, don't come to church. No. Get on your knees and plead with God to create in you a clean heart. Do you have affections for Jesus? Not just an intellectual mind for Him. Because this is the way that Jesus attacks the problem. He goes after the heart constantly, over and over again. Even in I was about Ephesians 3, right? Paul talks about he says, I bow my knees before the Father um, in heaven. And he's praying for this problem in the church in Ephesus. You know what he prays for? He says, I want their, I'm praying for their inner man. I want their inner man. That Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That they may know the, what is the height and length and depth and breadth. And the, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He said, I'm praying for the inner man. You get that? Jesus, Jesus doesn't deal with our behaviors. He deals with our hearts. He gets to the core of the issue. He gets past the facade of what we try to show Him that we're like and and approve of Him and and make Him accept us. He pushes past all of that and He gets right to the heart. That's His target. Aggressively and passionately pursuing the heart. And Paul, too, he prays for the inner man. Not the outer man, which we sometimes spend so much time on. Focus on the inner man. And even too, like I was saying, I naturally just have that tendency to deal with the outer man instead of the inner man or woman, whatever gender you are. We just so easily would rather deal with the outer man. We'd rather deal with the symptoms instead of the core issue of the problem. It's just easier. You just write it off, get away with it, keep moving on, don't think about it. But Jesus... He targets the heart. He goes right for it. You see this in so many conversations he has with Pharisees and lawyers throughout the Gospels. And it's like this, right? Like sometimes, 
um, when, I get, when I get sick, when I get a cold, um, if it's really bad and I can't sleep at night, um, what I'll do is I'll go to the medicine, I don't know, we don't have a cabinet, what is it, it's a drawer, whatever, a little medicine spot, right? And I grab the NyQuil. Like, just give me that NyQuil, all right? And I, I don't even, like, measure the capfuls. I just get a, get a, like, just knock me out, put me to bed. I don't want to feel it anymore. Just let me go to sleep. And you know what happens the next morning? I wake up feeling just as bad as I did the day before. Why? Because NyQuil, <laughs> NyQuil is not a medicine that deals with the core issue of your sickness. It's just a, it's just a symptom coverer. Just deals with your symptoms. Right? Just knock me out. I don't want to sneeze all night and right up all night, like waking my wife. Right? Just, just knock me out. Put me. But it's because it deals with the symptoms. And I wake up the next morning feeling like garbage. And so, like the reality is, the, what I should do is I, I should actually just like take my vitamins, like my wife tells me to every day. I should just take my vitamins, and maybe I won't get sick as much, right? But we would so much rather just deal with the symptoms instead of the core problem. So much easier. No, Jesus gets to the core. He always targets the heart. It's always dealing with our motives and our affections and our desires. Deals with the heart of the matter. And so we could even say it like this, right? Is that um, Jesus is not after conformity, right? That's what I was saying. He doesn't want you to be a better Christian. He's not after conforming you into this image. No, he wants you to be transformed into the image of his son. That's it. Transformation. Not conformity. Not behavior modification. Transformation. And it, it, it happens when you target your heart. When you take God's word and you target your own heart. You say, is this happening in me? Am I being the Pharisee in this? Am I the lawyer who stands up to test Jesus here? Am I the, the priest who passes by the man on the side of the road? Or am I the Samaritan who stops and, and helps out this man? And so, He wants you to daily lay down your heart to Him for a transformation into the God-man, Jesus Christ his son. He wants to transform your life so that you delight in him. You delight in him because of the gospel and the fruit of enjoying him is that you act more like Jesus. That's the fruit. The actions, the behaviors, that's the fruit of being gospel centered. That's the fruit of targeting the heart. Man, like, who, who is like Jesus? In the scriptures, like, you see him. Talk to these lawyers, talk to these Pharisees, targeting the heart. Like, no one else is like him. You can't go through the Bible. You can't go through human history. You can't go to other religions or other people and see anyone like Jesus pursuing after John 4, right? The woman at the well. She's got five husbands and she's at this well and Jesus comes to her. And you know what he does? He says, I know you've got five husbands, but I will Forgive you. You want water? I'll give you water that will make you never thirst again. And he targets her heart. Or how about Jesus when he goes to Matthew, the tax collector, right? And he goes to this guy with this greedy, wicked heart who's just stealing people's money. And Jesus goes, today you can be forgiven 
follow me. And Matthew leaves it all behind. And he follows Jesus. His wicked heart was transformed. And then even think about, right, this, this idea of, um, of Jesus, right? He's sitting with the tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with them. What's he doing? He's engaging. He's targeting. He's pursuing their hearts. I love Zacchaeus, the wee little man, up in a tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. I want, I want your heart, Zacchaeus. Like there's no one else like Jesus. No one is like Jesus who targets the heart. No one in human history is like our God. And here's the thing, right? Aren't you, aren't you glad he targets the heart? Like that should make us glad. That should make us think, yes, no more garbage. We're going to have to fake being some type of Christian. No more garbage. We're going to have to try to act like someone. No more nonsense. We're going to have to do this or behave like this. No, Jesus has dealt with our hearts. Nothing else but our hearts. He's pursued us. He's cleaned us off. And he's made us from orphans to adopted sons and daughters. He makes us new. If anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. New creation. Right? Not like some caterpillar, right? The caterpillar, right? He becomes transformed into a butterfly. He doesn't just like attach some fake plastic wings on him and say, oh, hopefully I can fly now. Don't get rid of my gut. Just hopefully I can fly now. No, no, no. He goes into that cocoon. What does the cocoon do? And he transforms him. There's no reversal. He transforms him into a butterfly who begins to fly. You're a new creation in Christ. And so, we need to be like Christ and targets our, target our hearts. We need to inform the mind. Absolutely. We learn. We study. We don't put down our Bibles. We, we study that thing. We inform our mind. We have knowledge. But that knowledge inspires our hearts for Christ. And if it just stays up here, you know what that produces? It produces atheism. Like your Bible reading just stays in your head? That's atheism. That's Pharisee stuff. It's got to go from your head, move to your heart. And so, as I said before, we, it's, it's the gospel, being gospel-centered in, these, in our mindset, in the way we think, in the way we act, in our motives, in our desires. And so, what do we do? How do we do this? Well, um, I think one of the... One of the greatest misconceptions in the church today, and I'm not just saying Brantford Bible Chapel, I'm talking about just the church in general, Christians. One of the greatest misconceptions is that we, um, we take the gospel and we obey it to become saved. And then we leave it and we move to the law because now we need to become more holy and righteous and pure. And that's not, that's not what Jesus teaches. Like we, you and I, how do we deal with this pharisaical tendencies in our, in our hearts? We need and we take and we absorb and delight in the gospel every single day. Every day we need the gospel. Not just for your salvation. 
You and I need the gospel every day. That's how we counter pharisaical hearts. That's how we counter moralistic deism. We get alone with Christ and we dwell, we meditate on the gospel and we love Him for it and He transforms our hearts into the image of His Son from one degree of glory to the next. And so apply the gospel every day for Christ-like character. And again, too, I'll just say this before we close, is that um, I'm not saying, like, don't go to Bible study. I'm not saying don't be all about the church. Like, more than anything, Jesus loves the church. It's His bride. He laid down His life for her. The whole book of Acts is about the church. All the epistles, they're written to churches. Like, go. But when you go, go to be satisfied in God. When you go, go to enjoy God. Not to make yourself feel better about your spirituality. Go out of a pure heart that loves and enjoys God above all things. And so one more thing too that we can practically do. We apply the gospel every day to our lives, but we also um, we examine our hearts daily as well. One thing I do um, is I, I have a Psalm 139. It's uh, put it on a note card and I just leave it in the dashboard of my truck. And every time I get in my truck, I quote it and I pray. Uh, whether it's one minute in the car going from across town or 20 minutes in the car going from wherever to wherever, is that it says, Search me and know me, O God. Try me and know my thoughts. Try me and know my heart. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Examine your hearts continually, constantly, before you go to work, when you drive home from work, before you go to see your spouse, before you start parenting your kids, examine your heart. So we want to be gospel-centered in our preaching from the pulpit, in our parenting, in our counseling, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, in our ministries, and daily in our lives. Gospel-centered people. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that, that you, you choose to pursue the heart and not everything else. So many other religions and people are so focused on how we act and live and do things to become something. Lord, you transform us. You create, you make us a new creation. And so, give us even the mind that is discipled by your word. Give us that mind to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. God, keep us from sliding into the posture of Pharisee-like tendencies. All of our hearts. And Lord, lead us in the way everlasting. Transform us into the image of Your Son. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.